feeling it working. Oh, there you go. That's in there. What up, peeps? This is Alyssa and Andre. That's not what you say. But why do I have to say co-host and faux little bro every time? That's a lot. Ooh, that's what you say. So either make it what you say or make it not what you say. What up, peeps? This is Alyssa, and I'm here with my co-host and faux little bro, Andre. And welcome to another episode of Teachers Like Us. Today, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about how we put lessons together from a culturally responsive perspective. So I know that we have a lot of listeners who are teachers, but we also have a set of listeners who aren't educators at all. And so I want to simplify some of the words that we use, some of the jargon that we talk about, so it makes sense for our entire audience, not just our teachers. So when we're talking about things that are culturally responsive, we're talking about those relationships that Andre and I have been talking about that we're building with students. Mm -hmm. And that includes that knowledge that we get from them and little nuggets of information that they drop, things that they like, um, things that they do at home, ethnic uh, traditions and celebrations and all of those things that make them who they are. So when we're talking about uh, culturally responsive, we're including things in our curriculum that allow them to feel connected to the material that we're teaching. Yes. In addition to that, the reason that we we have culturally responsive um, pedagogy or the way that we teach is because it allows non-marginalized students, so your typical white students, to get a sense for what else is happening around them. Because a lot of the things that we experience in life are very Eurocentric standards. And so um, that's kind of the life we live by. Just to add, I would just say, like, even today, I had my first uh, history lesson with my new grade seven class. And the talk that we kind of, or the talk that I try and have as I do an intro to history, no matter where I start, whether it's um, coming in in the be- at in the middle of the year, like I am this year, or starting at the beginning of the year, is the first talk is that we talk about like what is history, why is it so important for us to study history, and we get into the fact that hey, like um, as much as we're in Canada and in Ontario and we're learning Canadian history, that. We have to acknowledge that there are other perspectives out there in the world. So a grade seven student in Ontario is going to be learning something completely different in their history class than a grade seven student in Cuba is is learning or a grade seven student in Germany is learning. So how do we make sure that we are being equitable to all of those perspectives and shining lights on all of those perspectives so that all voices are heard and understood and appreciated for the most part. Ooh, couldn't I put it better myself. I think it's the idea of normalizing everybody. So that way, that standard that I talked about is kind of standard for everybody. So that way, everybody is the standard instead of this Eurocentric perspective being the standard. So that's kind of the idea behind being culturally responsive and, you know, including all voices. Um, The other thing I want to talk about is if we're talking about how we design lessons, there's kind of the back end to that. So this is kind of the academic thing that some of you are going to snooze through, but I'm going to do this really (laughs) quickly. So there are kind of two things that make up the way lessons are designed. 
the first is curriculum development and that refers to what students actually learn so that's like taking that curriculum document and the information that's given to us as teachers to follow that's that piece and then there's instructional design and that's the way students learn it so that's whether I have them in large groups having a class discussion or we're doing a project or I'm testing them. So it's how students learn um, for instructional design. So as a new contract teacher who has had the benefit of teaching in so many different areas, how do you go about designing lessons when you are kind of following the lead of a teacher who is either left behind material or they've started the year and you're kind of coming in and being like, how do I put my Andre swag on this? I would say that the way that I, I guess, like you said, put my Andre swag on things is I have to have an understanding of what I'm teaching. So whether it's math, uh, language, uh, history, geography, I need to know what it is. And having an understanding of what it is allows me to kind of... um, play and organize how I want them to meet whatever those curriculum expectations are. So a lot of the times I spend um, time getting to know my source material, essentially, (laughs) Um, getting to know what my source material is and getting um, assistance from teachers around me. So I have been blessed that every time that I'm in a position, there's a teacher that I'm either close with or that I've had conversations with before in the past that is teaching or has taught what I've what I'm going through. So they've always been able to give me little insights, whether it's a little project that I can do, a um, lesson that I can do, whether it's an introductory lesson or a um, lead up lesson into something else. And I find that having all of that source material, I can then now start to put, again, my Andre swag on things because as I mentioned to you guys before I try to make sure that no matter what I'm teaching that it's something that I'm actually into so that it's something I can get excited about and something that I can hopefully have the kids get excited about with me and be on that journey with me and be in that learning process with me so i I tell the students really right off the bat that when when it comes to certain areas, I'm no expert. So I've I may have um, done whatever I needed to do to understand in order to teach them something. But we might be learning new things together as we're going through it. I love that. That's actually really good. Um, And I think that's important for new teachers to remember is that there are teachers that are a little bit more experienced than you or um, have had, you know, they've got a binder maybe from a teacher before Mm. them and it's okay to ask for help. And I think all too often because we're kind of in our own classrooms, teachers assume they have to do it all by themselves and that's not the case. Yeah. And that's, those are the things that actually build like strong school communities that, Hey, I'm new or I'm old and I want something from the new teacher that I can go to somebody and people are going to be willing to help me or willing to make sure that the um, learning that their students are doing in their class, that I can bring that same learning, that same energy into my own classroom. Because at the end of the day, we're all supposed to be teaching the kids the same things, whether we're doing it at the same time because we all have the same annual learning goals or annual learning plan. Um, Whether we're doing it at the same time or doing it in different spots, at the end of the day, when the kids leave grade seven, they're all supposed to have the same knowledge going into grade eight. Right. So whatever, whoever I can get that knowledge from, whoever I can get that experience from to share with my kids, 
it's great that I it's great to have the chance to really just go talk to any teacher especially the ones that are super experienced in certain areas. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's another thing that um, more experienced teachers need to remember is that sharing is caring. Yeah. I remember when I first started teaching, uh, there were a couple of teachers who were really eager to just unload their stuff to me. But on the flip side, there were teachers that were like hoarding their stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, no, you're not going to get this. I have this awesome lesson plan and I want our principal and everybody else know that I designed that it, it came from so, me. Yeah. yeah. And so like, I can't give it to you because if you're doing it with your class, then like they're not going to know which one of us did it. And I think it's really important for experienced teachers to share the wealth because your knowledge is only helping your students. Like, I think we need to stop this. Like, if I help this teacher, that teacher's succeeding. If you help that teacher, those students are succeeding. Exactly. And I think in the same vein, new teachers themselves need to be willing just to step, I guess, out of their comfort zone. Try something new. It's something that you never taught before. You can still do it. Maybe you went to teacher's college and you were in your primary junior for teacher's college and realized, hey, I'm really not good at math. And Are you, are you making judgments right now? <laughs> And now I'm in this LTO where they're telling me I have to teach math, right? That you have to be willing to just step out and try something new. Because I've had a lot of the times, especially in my career, being a long-term occasional teacher, which, again, teacher lingo, but if you don't know what that is, it's essentially um, the next step up from a supply teacher. So a supply teacher is someone who comes in for maybe a teacher who's absent for a day or a couple of days, whereas a long-term teacher takes on those long-term contracts. So teachers that are leaving on mat leave or going on sick leave for something or have some sort of family crisis where they're leaving their classroom for maybe uh, three weeks or a month or um, an entire year, right? So those are the classes that I would be going in and covering. Um, so being in those LTO spots where you're just picking up these jobs and then now you're now you got the job on Friday and you start on Monday and you need to have things done because that teacher probably didn't leave anything for you to do, depending on the reason why they had to leave. Um, it's you have to be just willing again to talk to other people, say, hey, I need help. If I'm a new teacher, you have to be willing to say, OK, maybe this is something that I've never done before, but. I can try and either I try and I fail and I know never do this again <laughs> or I try and I succeed. And I found a lot of the times the lessons that I've come up with where I'm like, "Ooh, I don't know how this is going to go. And I've just tried it. They've been the best lessons that I've ever done because the kids have grasped the knowledge or grasped the concept that I wanted them to get so quickly. Again, I don't think I have anything to add to that. Um, I'm so great at what I do. This okay, slow down. <laughs> yeah, <I'm joking. laughs> there we go. So, can you? I don't know if you guys can hear that feedback today, but I'm just gonna throw it in there in case this feedback does come through. There are children. I think they're doing photography club yeah, out there. Yeah, the photography club is going on in my room next door right now. So I think uh, they're out doing their um, exploration and taking pictures. They're out here yelling uh, up in the hallway today. I think the today. first lesson that we're doing today is the rule of thirds. So all my photographers out there, you should know what that means. But that's what they're going out doing today. Does it require screaming? Because I, I don't remember the rule of thirds <laughs> yeah. requiring screaming. But in any case, as a more experienced teacher I craft lessons um, similar to the way Andre would as a, as a newer teacher with things that I love so maybe I'm not 
um, taking resources resources um, from teachers in our building, but I'm definitely using inspiration from other teachers out there. So I mentioned that I love Instagram. A lot of my inspiration comes from things I see on Instagram. So maybe someone is doing a little New Year's resolution uh, one word thing. Yeah. And I like that idea. Um, I just kind of take that and build on it with things that I'm really interested in. So uh, my students will find that a lot of my projects have art elements in them because I love seeing things that are colorfully designed and, you know, put together in a, in a pleasing aesthetic way. So things, a lot of my lessons have that in it. And we were taught in teacher's college to work from the top down, meaning like have a big idea and then work backwards. So it's backwards design. I don't even know if that's still a thing. Can anyone who is currently in a teacher education program DM us on Instagram at teachers like us and let me know if that's what you're still learning. Because I remember um, one of our teachers that just left, one of our teachers that just left when he was in teacher's college many moons ago was learning circular cyclical design. What did he call it? What's the circular, some kind of circular design. Yeah, I can't remember. And so it's changed over the years. But when I was in teacher's college, we learned backwards design. So you start with a big idea. Like I want my students to learn about justice. And then what does justice look like? How do we get to that big idea? We start putting in little lessons about, um, what does it mean to have power? What is prejudice? What is exclusion? Like you start to put in all these little elements that help you build towards that greater lesson plan. And then again, the way that I design like a, a physical, like how are we going to tackle this? Um, I know that I personally like classroom discussions and I find I get the best classroom discussions when we're having a whole class discussion. Other teachers find that they get the best out of their classes when they're doing small group discussions. So um, you kind of start to plug in things like that. I think for me, as much as there might be, I guess, like a formula or maybe some people think there's a better way to do things, I usually have the formula of, like, no matter what we're talking about, there's going to be discussion about it. Mm -hmm. So whether that is small groups, whether it's a large class discussion, whether you're writing me a paragraph about what you think about the topic that we're talking about, we are going to talk because I need to figure out what is going on in your brain. What is you as the grade seven student that is just learning this material yeah. or whatever grade you're in, what are you understanding from what I've, what we've talked about for the past week or two weeks? And then um, as I'm collecting all of that data, then I now know, okay, I need to spend more time in this area. I find that happens a lot, especially when you're teaching math, that if you can take the time to do those small group discussions or do those, um, I don't know, math challenges, math talks, you start to see, like, what do the kids know? What are they understanding? Are they actually just memorizing the formula that we've talked about, or do they actually know what it means to plug these numbers into where these, where these letters were before? Yeah, and that's a great point, that we are checking and assessing as we go along. So again, I feel like we always kind of touch on assessment because it is so important, but assessment doesn't always mean that final product. Yeah. It's those conversations that we're having, those observations that we that we see in the classroom. So hearing those pieces about what they understand or what they don't understand is helpful for us to continue crafting the lesson so that way it meets the needs of all of our students. Yeah, I've had it happen so much times and again I bring up math because it's that's where I got to see it the most where um, you talk to a student maybe one on one or in their small group 
and they fully understand whatever that concept was that you were teaching. But then you give them, I don't know, you give them my final test and all of a sudden it's like, oh, I forget everything. I can't handle the pressure of regurgitating everything you just taught me for the last three weeks. So now I end up failing that test. Test anxiety is real. Yeah. So I always, as in collecting all of that data, that's what helps turn kids marks that maybe should have been C's or C pluses. That's what pushes those things into B minuses. Mm is having that collection of that data so that they have so that I they know that I know that even though they didn't do well on this test I know that they understand what's going on and I know if I were to give if I were to break this test up and maybe give them two or three questions a week they would probably ace the test yeah agreed okay so in talking about how everyone everything is curriculum and also bringing in uh, multiple perspectives into the curriculum I think the hardest uh, part comes in when people are talking about math because everyone's like well I teach math so how does that work (laughs) and so I just pulled a random expectation from the Ontario curriculum um, measurement Uh, the overall expectation is that we report on research into real-life applications of area measurements And the specific expectation says, sketch different prisms that share the same volume. And then they gave a sample problem. The Newman Company is designing a new container for its marbles. The container must have a volume of 200 centimeters uh, cubed. Ooh, I almost said squared. (laughs) Uh, Sketch three possible containers and explain which one you would recommend. So when you're doing things like this, when you're giving examples... Think about different maybe inventors or companies that are owned by someone other than someone white because mm-hmm. that's normally what we're looking at right and it's and i think it's more than just you know changing the name of the yes, person absolutely. to something more ethnic because that's something that you see all the time so now it's not john anymore it's iqbal or something absolutely. like that right it, it's it's more than it that. is way more than that like so i have a quick book recommendation um what color is my world the lost history of african-american inventors by kareem abdul-jabbar So basketball in the house uh, has nothing to do with basketball. But if we're looking at, you know, inventing a type of cube that holds something, then talk about some inventors. Yeah. Um, You can read in a math class. I don't understand why we don't read books in, in math classes. Well, I think it's because people tend to confuse the fact that, you know, Math is actually a language and you need language in order to understand. Yeah, see, I told you it comes with time. It comes with time. I know I'm a fresh contract, but I have the experience. It's there. I see those ideas brewing. That's a good (laughs) one. So math, it's a language. So as much as you have to sit and you have to learn and um, get through learning how to interpret, interpretate the English language, it's the same thing you have to do with math. And it's um, a big problem that we even see these children facing is like when we put word problems in front of them, they can't oh figure them out. Oh my goodness, that was me as a student. I hated word problems. I could do the formula, but as soon as you put it into a word problem, I was like, I don't, I don't get it. Exactly. So as if you can um, put yourself as a math teacher, put yourself in the mindset that, hey, when I'm giving out these um, word problems that math is a language and I need kids to understand that it is a language now when you start doing that it can help open you up to start looking at maybe looking at books looking at um, other world issues that might be happening that you can actually bring into your math class so now you're not just designing a container for uh, John's company now you could be looking at um, maybe we're looking at trade 
Yeah. Because, you know, trade is global and how does that Im- impact the economy? And so you're looking at a larger kind of body of work versus mm. that one container. Yeah. Ooh. Um, I would say as far as like, again, with the whole designing or how you design or go about designing a lesson, I think it it always varies depending on what that lesson is or what it what is your, again, like you were saying, what is your big idea? What is your main objective that you want them to get at the end of the day? And then how do you help them or how do you help guide them towards that big idea? Especially when you're dealing with um, uh students that are coming f- coming into your classroom at in different areas or in sorry in having different needs yeah right how do you bring that understanding to all of them like me right now um my class is just starting a novel study and i'm in a classroom where i have some kids that are um esl students so english is their second language yeah. Right and or eal english as an additional language. Right, additional language so i'm like so it's always not it's always difficult to try and make sure that as much as i'm trying to bring forth these maybe social justice or just regular history lessons mm-hmm. on like the war of 1812 how am i making Killing. sure that <laughs> how am i making sure that all of the kids are leaving with some sort of understanding even if it's not all the same and that's why in my design why there's so much class discussion because whether english is your first language and and or if it's something that you're learning you can start to learn to express yourself and learn to understand from the people that are around you from talking to them from um researching and doing projects and um working through assignments with those that are in your class yeah absolutely Um, When you are designing your curriculum, understand that those multiple perspectives, those voices, those ideas, those student interests are really important. Um, So a quick story. Um, I was at a strategic action plan session with our board where we discuss how we can improve the lives or improve, I can't speak, improve (laughs) the success um, of our black and indigenous students. And a couple of teachers noted, and they were kindergarten teachers, that they were having difficulty incorporating the the experiences of black people into the curriculum because they thought the, the topics were too heavy for their kindergarten students. And so... Of course, I was like, um, what is it that you think we do as black people? Like, <laughs> I don't understand what's so heavy about my life in this current moment that prohibits prohibits you from bringing it into the curriculum. And so I was saying to a couple of these teachers, if you are thinking of us just as enslaved people, then you need to check your pedagogy. Like, mm. you need to check your own thinking. Because if all you're thinking about is slavery, um, and, you know, the, the tough parts of civil rights, then you are missing the entire black experience. And the same thing goes for indigenous. Like if you are only thinking about residential schools, like you are missing the entire culture. And so there are ways that you can bring black voices, experiences mm-hmm. and all of those things um, into the curriculum without just focusing on those kind of heavier moments. But even if that is all that you see is those heavier moments don't think that you can't bring them in yeah, because fair. as Absolutely. i as i was just saying earlier in this episode the 
grade one, grade two, grade three kids living in Ontario are getting a completely different lesson than the ones that are living in Syria right now. No, you're right. And those lived experiences that they're going through, like kids live through more than I think teachers realize. Mm -hmm. Like they always think that kids show up to school really sheltered and that's not the case. Well, it's not the case for every kid. Fair. No, you're right. Absolutely. This And again, with um, us realizing that, hey, we may, especially here at our school, realizing that, hey, that as much as um, curriculum is important, that we need to also be focusing on things like mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, we start to realize that these kids, again, are coming with so much so we can kind of expose them to certain things so that they have an understanding of the different perspectives that are around them. Yeah, and maybe why some of these things happen. And I think that also lessens the mental health burden on their part because they realize that a lot of these feelings that they're feeling are not um, individual and not their fault. Mm-hmm. Um, they're realizing that like the world is a, a strange place. And so a lot of these hardships that they're facing are the result of larger issues in the world. Yes. Hey, and that's the bell. So it looks like we are done this episode. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Teachers Like Us and send us any questions that you have. Yeah, we're looking, like I said, we're looking to get into answering your questions. So as much as you, everyone's going to love our voices and listening to us talk, we want to actually make sure we're educating our listeners out there. So make sure you are DM, DMing us at Teachers Like Us on Instagram. And we'll catch you on the next episode. See ya. Peace out. Bat, bat, bat. Okay, do that. Ah. Stop. Do that one more time because you might hear the. And welcome to another episode of Teachers Like Us. Teachers like we, teachers like I and I and them, us against them, them versus us.